Morning. Uh, I won't be needing that one. There you go. Thank you. Oh, let's take a breath. There's a lot going on, isn't there? A lot of great stuff, and, and that's not the half of it. Uh, if you're new to church, um, there's a beautiful, rich um, family life that we love to cultivate at Kings and all sorts of things going on, um, people stepping out into things. It was so good at the quiz last night just to see our young people owning that and doing such an outstanding job. Brilliant evening. Really brilliant evening. Um, okay. So we're carrying our series in James, and um, we too, as well as Radiate Youth, who have just gone out, uh, are going to be exploring wisdom. And um, sometimes people ask me, um, what can I pray for you for? And pretty much my pat answer, <laughs> some, Chris is nodding, is wisdom. Wisdom. Please pray for wisdom. Because I don't know about you, but every day we face so many decisions, so many different sort of joys and challenges to navigate in life, in all sorts of different situations. And I know I need wisdom. I know I lack it, and I know I need it. Some of the decisions we have to make every day are maybe what we consider maybe trivial, me choosing what cup I'm going to have my Earl Grey tea in in the morning. To me, that's not actually that trivial, to be honest. <laughs> has to be a decent-sized cup. We were at somewhere the other day. Uh, uh, was it? Anyway, it was a hotel place. And the cups for the morning were like that big, tiny little things. What are you thinking? If I ever ran a hotel, we'd have big cups. Because who else wants big cups in the morning? See, I'm not the only one here. There's a real market for this. Um, but some of them, obviously, are way more important than that. And you might well be facing, and likely are facing, Decisions to make on things. You might be facing unexpected challenges in your life. Maybe this week you've got a deadline coming up. Maybe you've got something, well, I've got to make a decision on this. I've got to act on this. I've got to do something on this. And maybe be thinking of that as we start to unpack what wisdom looks like in our lives. It can be things in relationships, in our finance, in our family, in parenting, in our workplace. And and technology... I do think that, that, that technology, we need wisdom to know how to use smartphones and so on and usage at the moment. We really need God's wisdom on this. But just looking down the track, an AI, artificial intelligence, is coming, well, it's already here, but it, it, it's going at a speed of, of changing the kind of landscape and the way that we, um, the way that we relate to technology. I mean, give you a couple of examples just this week I've come across. Well, one would be advertising. Um, targeted advertising, that someone was telling me that, that down the track, Marcus knows about this stuff more than I do, but that, that, that is coming, this kind of advertising that won't just be kind of like because of your cookies on your computer, so you get an advert up from something you've just been looking at, and suddenly there's that thing when you're looking at a different web page. That some are saying because of AI, and it will know you personally so well, it will literally create an advert for you. Personalized advertising for you, knowing your likes and your dislikes, what you look at, what you spend time looking at, how long you look at that thing. I mean, that raises the level of temptation, doesn't it? And just kind of like this coming at us. How do we navigate those sorts of things? 
Another thing I checked out yesterday was a thing called um, Replica. I don't suggest signing up if you are. Um, well, Anyway, it's a chatbot thing that you, you put in your details, you upload loads of stuff about you, and then you start to have conversations with this AI character. And so I looked at some of the testimonies from people that they'd written about engaging with this virtual, well, this, this um, artificial intelligence being, and they were saying that it was life-changing, brought them comfort, brought them peace, it was great to have a friend there 24-7 and all of this kind of stuff. And I was just thinking, well, how do we navigate this stuff? We need wisdom. Because I don't know the challenges that you're going to face in your life. I don't know the things that you're trying to make a decision on for tomorrow, this week. I don't know that. But what I can say, I think with certainty, is I do know that you and I need wisdom to navigate those things, to deal with those things. Wisdom is the skillful application of what we know. It's not about just information or those sorts of things. Um, it's not just about knowing stuff. And where you get your wisdom from matters. I wonder in the decisions that you're having to make or the things that you're facing, where do you go for your wisdom? Who do you go to? What do you go to? Do you go on to your chatbot? What do you think? Do you go on Google and take the first couple of things that might come up? Where do we go for, for wisdom? Well, James is, is writing to a, a church community, as we've looked at over the past weeks. He's concerned for the health of that community. There's, there's trouble brewing. There's angry words being spoken. There's arrogant boasting. There's envying. There's favoritism. There's arguing. You can read all these things in James's letter. And James can't solve everything. And so he points them to grow in wisdom. And in Proverbs chapter 24, verse 3 to 4, it says this, the book of wisdom literature in the Old Testament. It says, by wisdom a house is built, and by understanding it is established. By wisdom a house is built, by understanding it's established. And the Bible says that the church is the household of God. It's a metaphor for it. And so if we are going to build church well, then we need wisdom to build and understanding to see it established. And that's why there's a blueprint on the screen there of a house. A blueprint you lay over. You, it's, they're the plans you follow. And so we're going to read James chapter 3, verses 13 through to verse 18. So if you've got a Bible, turn to it. James is in it. If you're new to the Bible, New Testament, shoot next to Hebrews, between Hebrews and, and Peter in the New Testament. Let's read verse 13 to 18. If my translation is slightly different to yours, it's the American Standard Bible, so it might be different to the one you're reading. It says this, Who among you is wise and understanding? Well, let them show it by their good behavior and deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. But... If you have bitter jealousy or envy and selfish ambition in your heart, don't be arrogant and lie against the truth, because this wisdom, well, that's not that which comes down from above, but it's earthly, it's natural, it's demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy, good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy, and the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. 
want to give us a blueprint for God's wisdom, something that we can lay over, as it were, all the decisions we might have to make in life. But before James gets to kind of godly wisdom, he starts off with this wisdom, he says, is not from above. Well, he starts off by saying, actually, in verse 13, who among you is wise and understanding? Whenever I read a question in the Bible, I try and pause and think, well, how would I answer that question? What's my response to that question? And ask, well, why is the person even asking that question? That's what questions do. They draw us in. They make us think. They engage us. And that's what these questions are meant to do. And I wonder if James, first and foremost, is really challenging maybe those who think in their own own eyes that they're really wise, that they're full of understanding, they're full of wisdom. And maybe they're a bit puffed up with it. Maybe James is challenging those sort of false teachers and so on that are around, that are disrupting the church. But also I think it's an invitation for all of us to pause and think about it. Who among us is wise? Who among us is wise and has understanding? And then to turn that question on ourselves. and Am I growing in this? Does my life demonstrate increasing wisdom as far as the Bible measures it? I'm really glad that James doesn't say, who among you is intelligent? It's not that intelligence is a bad thing, but he doesn't say that. He doesn't say who knows the most. He doesn't say who's got the most general knowledge. I was quite glad about that last night with the quiz, to be honest, because our team, well, we didn't come in the top 10. Uh, how many teams were there? 18, Tom? Josie? Yeah. 16, we came. Um, and um, we, were, we were hoping for better. We had such a broad team of ages and experience and, and everything. I thought, and a teacher. We had Joe. Sorry, Joe. <laughs> I shouldn't put that way on you, should I? Um, I, thought we, I thought we were in for a chance. But anyway, we, we didn't come first. But equally, I like to reflect on that and think that what we were doing was handing over the baton to the younger generation, the young team that won uh, on the table nearby us. But I'm glad it doesn't say this about wisdom. It doesn't say it's about your education, about whether you've got A-levels or, I was going to say O-levels, they don't even do them anymore, GCSEs, or you've had a, got a degree or whatever. It's not about that. Wisdom is something that's different, and we can all grow in it, no matter who you are, no matter what you think about yourself. He says it's not about looking to those kind of who say wise things or just look wise. He said, in fact, verse 13, you see it in their good behavior and deeds, in the gentleness and humility of wisdom. It's in their good behavior and deeds, in the gentleness, and that word gentleness there can mean humility, the humility of wisdom. In other words, when you meet someone that's wise in, in, in the way that the Bible describes that we'll get to, there's often just this beautiful, well, there is, there's this beautiful just humility with them. There's no arrogance there. There's evidence, though, and it's tangible. So the first thing James is asked the question, who among you is wise and understanding? The second thing James does is he makes a contrast with this kind of false wisdom in verse 14 and 16. And I'm going to give the source, the character, and the result. The source of this wisdom, he says, it's not from above. This false wisdom, this pseudo-wisdom. And he uses a couple of words first. He says, it's earthly or natural or unspiritual. I guess this is a sense of kind of almost shutting out God from the picture, um, that human feeling and reason 
becomes the very foundation and basis for our, uh, the source of our wisdom. Well, there's no God, and so therefore it's just us. And, and so, the, you know, one person once said about this generation, we're a generation that thinks with our feelings. Our feelings and our own human reason becomes the ultimate source. And well, to be honest, well, where else are you going to go? If you've got a pet dog, you're not going to go to your pet dog and say, have you got some wisdom for me today, are you? And so it leaves us as it, basically. And that's what James is saying here, I think. He's saying something about this sense that it's, it's earthly, it's natural, it's unspiritual. But then he takes a step further. And there's a third word that I read out there. That it's demonic. It's demonic in origin. Now, I realize that when I say that word, it could mean a million and one things to different people. It could raise all sorts of questions for you. If you really believe there's no God, there's no ultimate, there's no um, supernatural or anything, then actually to say it's demonic is just nonsense. But that's not the worldview of the Bible. The Bible is the worldview that there is very rea- there's a reality, a spiritual reality out there. And I think that's borne out in our culture a little bit in the fascination with the films. If you just look at kind of the types of films that people are making, the, I wouldn't recommend watching them, and I, and I certainly don't. I really don't want to, but I'm aware of these films coming out, these horror films and so on, and films that are kind of really um, focused in on the supernatural. We have this fascination with it as a society. So I don't know what you think about it, but James is saying here that this is a reality, and later on in 4 verse 7, which we'll get to in future preachers in the series, where he says, resist the devil. He says that there are these real spiritual forces at work in this world, and some are, are evil, and they lead us astray. And Jesus himself taught of this reality as well in his temptation when he was tempted. And there's a sense here, I think, of this wisdom that masquerades as wisdom, that really what it does, it twists truth, it distorts truth. And Jesus said, this is what the devil, what Satan is like. He's a, he's a distorter of truth. He's the father of lies. And we, we live in a culture as well where just, what do you believe is true? Again, AI plays into that. What's reality? What is truth? How can we even know anymore? And so this wisdom is like this. this is, that's the source of it. And then he goes to the character of this false wisdom. He says that the fruit of it is jealousy or envy and selfish ambis, ambition. Clearly, some people in the community that James is writing to um, are, are struggling with this. You can read about that in chapter 4, verse 1 to 10. He talks about their conflicts, their arguments, their fighting, their quarreling. And James is saying some of that is because of this jealousy, this envy, this selfish ambition. And again, what we can do sometimes when we read that is think, well, yeah, we don't want that in our church community, do we? I wonder, I wonder who's like that. Who's got envy in their heart? Who's got selfish ambition in their heart? Whereas actually our first port of call, my first port of call needs to be, God, is that in my heart? Is there any selfish ambition? Is there envy in me? Am I contributing with this pseudo-wisdom in this way? What's driving my decision-making in things? A couple of um, writers who I really like, um, Dan Allender and um, Tremper Longman III, great name. Um, in a book they wrote, um, they said, Envy is the desire for what another has that we don't have. Envy is the desire for what another has that we don't have. Envy grasps at another person's material possessions or personal status. Envy grasps at another person's, not literally necessarily, that's a steal, 
but just in our hearts. I want that. I want what they've got. I want the position they've got. I want, I want that. Whatever it might be, we grasp at these things. And that leads into this selfish ambition, this seeking our own kind of popularity or power or glory or status. Um, one book I read called The Status Game, this guy unpacks this whole thing that we play in our culture of wanting status as, as human beings, and we fight for it, and it's the cause of so much conflict in our world. And I think he calls social media a status slot machine. It's like, how many likes or favorites or, or followers or whatever it else? Am I above you, below you? We compare to one another, and it feeds something very unhealthy in us. But we strive for these things. And James, actually, who wrote this letter, he played his own status game with his friends as well at one point when they had Jesus in the room when they were having a dispute who's the greatest among us there's a status game right there who's the greatest and Jesus just takes a pin as they're puffing up their sort of state who's the greatest well how are we going to measure that he's puffing it up and Jesus takes a pin and just bursts their bubble royally he says the greatest among you is the one that serves the one that actually takes the lowest position in the room, as Jesus did when he washed the disciples' feet. And he said, there you go, that's your model for greatness, right there. We're going to measure ourselves, it's not by this pseudo, this false wisdom, but by the wisdom that Jesus gives of what it looks like. That's the source of their disputes, it's this ungodly wisdom. And then there's the result of this false wisdom, it says that disorder and every evil thing... Is that overstating it? It's like disorder, every evil thing, just because you make a few unwise choices? Well, again, I think that when I look at what I've just described there in terms of jealousy and envy and selfish ambition, and then you look into society and you see the disorder in relationships, you see it in churches, you see it in societies, you see it in countries, you see it in conflict, you see these things born out. They can start on very personal levels, just between one or two people. Then they can escalate to a family. Then they can escalate to a tribe and then to a whole culture and a society and then to countries warring against each other. If you go back in history, this is how some of these conflicts have gone on for generations. So yeah, I think they do fuel these things. That's why we've got to get this wisdom right. And James gives this blueprint for it in verse 17 and 18. If you bring up the next slide, it should have the the sort of blueprint of God's wisdom there. We'll just leave that up as I go through these things. And we see the source of God's wisdom first with this blueprint, um, in contrast to this other wisdom. It's from above. It starts with God. It starts with Jesus, the source. Thankfully, thankfully, there's a source of wisdom that is higher than me, that is outside of myself. I'm so glad for that. Colossians chapter 2, verse 3 says this, In Christ... In Jesus Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In Christ, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in him. They're found in him. You want to know what wisdom really is? It's a massive claim, I realize. <laughs> Look to Jesus, because they're found in him. One person put it this way, they said, Christ is the one in whom is to be found all that you and I need in order to understand spiritual reality and to lead a life pleasing to God. Wisdom, the Bible says, begins with fear of the Lord, this sense of, no, bring God in. We're not, God is out of the equation. God is very much in the equation. Now, I know that you may think, well, that just seems foolish to believe in God or to believe that that we find our wisdom in God. Maybe you think that. Even the Bible itself, though, it acknowledges 
that, that that will be a reaction to people, to say, what, to believe in God and to find your wisdom in Christ? That's, that's just foolish. And Paul unpacks the treasure of God's wisdom and he locates it in the most unlikely of places. In 1 Corinthians, he locates the wisdom of God in this crucified man, Jesus, crucified, crucifixion. In chapter 1, verse 18 to 25 in 1 Corinthians, he says things like, Jews look for a sign, Greeks look for kind of impressive wisdom, and then Paul says, I came to Corinth, this cosmopolitan city filled with people, all this kind of wisdom or you know, words going on, he came into that place with the message of Jesus Christ and him crucified, saying the wisdom of God is located there in him. It would have been laughable, offensive, and Paul admits, foolish. 1 Corinthians 1.24 says, Christ crucifies, cr- crucified is the wisdom of God. He's saying it's there that it reveals the deepest truth about God. You want to know what God is like? Look at Jesus. And it reveals the deepest truths about us. And also, I think one of the results of the gospel, one of the results of all we've been singing about and celebrating this morning, is humility. Because it's all of grace. It's not ourselves. We're not saved by works and our goodness and our own wisdom and our own intelligence and our own kind of finding out. But I found loads of stuff out. Now let me pass that on to you because I'm really wise. No, no, no. It's actually we've been found out by God. He's the one who's come after us. He's the one who's got hold of our lives and it results in humility. It's a starting point actually for growing wise, the humility of wisdom. And the characteristics of this wisdom, I won't spend long on these, they're up there. And I just want you to think about this as you come to make decisions in your life. As, as, as we face things this week, maybe at the start when I said to think of maybe that one thing, maybe lay this blueprint over that decision and look through it onto the decision you've got to make and ask yourself, does it have, and the way I'm handling it, does it have these qualities and these characteristics? And so the first is pure. And these are all like Jesus. <laughs> they point us to Christ. Um, this pure, this is the word that we sometimes get our word holy from. And some would say that all the other things kind of flow from this sort of purity. It means like there's no tugs of loyalty in any other direction. It's audience of one, pure, holy, set apart for God. I think that's what James is trying to get at here. No tugs of loyalty, not being pulled in other directions. I want to please God. The second is peaceable. This sense of kind of, well, the opposite of it might be sort of striving, combative, um, forceful, maybe through force of personality into something, but actually peaceable. There's something um, measured about it. Uh, gentle. There's two words in the New Testament that are used for gentle. Um, they're translated gentleness sometimes or humility at other times, but together they kind of mean this, this is kind of what the wisdom of God looks like. And when you're with people who are wise, these are the kind of things that I've experienced. They're humble, they're kind. They're gracious, they're tolerant, they're tender-hearted, they're considerate, they're generous. They're just like Jesus. They're becoming more like him. Jesus said of himself, he said, that I am gentle and humble in heart. Earlier on, someone said something about becoming more like Jesus. That's the aim, that's the deal. 
Are we becoming more gentle and humble in heart? That's a sign of that, of God's wisdom at work in our lives. The fourth thing is reasonable. What does that mean? It's quite a hard one to, different people say, sort of has different emphasis. I think where I'm sort of landing on this is that there's a sense that when there's wisdom, that the person is open to be reasoned with. Um, they'll consider what you're saying. They're conciliatory in their nature. It doesn't mean they're compromising on truth or what they believe at all. But there's just a reasonableness about them, a considerateness about the way that they come across, deferring, maybe not defensive. But you can talk to them about anything. Even if, if they've got strongly held views on something, there's, there's a beautiful kind of characteristic about them, that they're gentle and reasonable in the way that they hold those views. That's the wisdom of God, I think. And then we've got merciful. Again, Jesus obviously epitomized mercy. And it's the characteristic of what God is like, isn't it? The mercy of God. And this, one of my favorite stories, which I mention regularly, are just you know, the two men praying, one who thinks he's really good and everything to impress God, and the other one who's saying, I'm pretty rubbish, and I don't even know how to pray, and, and, and uh, I'm nowhere near as good as he is, and but have mercy on me, a sinner. I just love that prayer. That's what God's like, have mercy. He says, one went away justified, that one. We're to be merciful. And, and James, actually, if you go back to chapter 2, verse 8 to 13, it talks about mercy there. And almost James defines mercy as a love for neighbor that is shown in action. Again, these, this wisdom, how is it seen? Well, it's in good behavior and deeds. So mercy, it needs to be something that is felt in the lives of others around us. He's saying that's evidence of God's wisdom at work. The sixth thing we read there is it's unwavering, undivided loyalty to God. Maybe, maybe another way is uncompromising. And then it's sincere. This is without hypocrisy, not two-faced. I was reading Psalm 55 and um, verse 21 which contrasts with this sense of sincerity and what hypocrisy would look like. Psalm, 20, Psalm 55, verse 21 says, Their speech, or his speech, was smoother than, smoother than butter, but his heart was at war. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. You get the picture? Sometimes people can speak with soft, gentle words, but actually there's something else going on in their heart towards you. That's hypocrisy. It's, 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 it's two-faced. It just is. And I think Paul's saying here, hey, just be straightforward. Be, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Make sure that and we, when we speak, am I being as plain as I can with the words that I'm speaking as full of grace? Absolutely. Love, kind and patient. But am I being as plain speaking as I possibly can? Am I being straightforward with my speech? These are the kind of characteristics, the source of God's wisdom, the character of God's wisdom. And then finally, there's the result of God's wisdom. In verse 18, it says, In the seed whose fruit is righteousness. That's righteousness here. It isn't speaking, I don't think, about God's righteousness for us, Him making us right with Him. I think it's speaking about the righteousness in the conduct, our behavior, that is pleasing to God. That's another way the word righteousness can be used. It's sown in peace by those who make peace. Now remember at the beginning where I said that James's concern for this church was there was lack of peace. 
There was disruption in relationships. There was anger. There was arguing. There is boasting. There is envy. And what James wants, and no doubt what he's praying for and what he's writing to them about, he's saying, I want you to have peace within your community. And here's a way that you can have that. If you live out and practice this wisdom of God in every moment, in every conversation, in every relationship with one another, every difficult situation, every challenge that you face, and you will face challenges. If church is a family, who's got a family that's never had a problem? Or never had a difficult word said? Or never had an argument? Am I the only one? Of course we have. Well, the church is a family. Of course we're going to hit difficult things. We apply the wisdom of God in them. That's how we handle those things. And increasingly, we'll have a community that has a hallmark of God's peace, which speaks of God's shalom, which is God's aim to restore all things. Yeah? And so we work for this. We give ourselves to it. We apply it into our lives. Well, how do you grow in it? How do we grow into it? One, I think, just listen well and learn from others. I'm so grateful for so many people in this room that I gain wisdom from. The Bible says that, that you, you live your life, you wage war. Now, we're not waging war in that sense, but uh, uh, the Christian life, is a, as we heard from Steph at a conference recently, is on a warfare footing. We wage war by many counselors, by loads of them. I love seeking out the wisdom of others. I benefit greatly from asking others all the time. What about this? How do I do that? How do I handle that? How should I even phrase this email? I need that kind of wisdom in my life. So learn from others. Look for others. Learn from the book of obviously the Bible. Read Proverbs. Read it again. It says so often, get wisdom, get wisdom. You know, we're talking about the younger generation. As we get older, keep getting wisdom. But you guys in your younger generation, get wisdom. Above everything, seek out wisdom. Get it in your life early. Establish it in your life early. Establish this blueprint in your life early. It will serve you well as you go forward into life. Obviously, read the Bible, but put it into practice. Talk about it in life groups. How else can we keep growing in wisdom? Something I've had many opportunities to do is learn from your mistakes. Um, I've got a quote here in my Bible, 946, from a chap called Bonhoeffer. Um, now, where is it? 946. So I'm trying to find a page in my Bible, literally a page number. 946. Where is it? Have I written the wrong page now? Oh, I've probably written the wrong page now. No, here we go, here we go, here we go, here it is. Here it is, Bonhoeffer. He says this. He was a German um, uh, church leader, pastor, um, and he was imprisoned during, uh, um, under Hitler and, and was killed. But he said this. He said, I believe that our mistakes and errors are not without purpose. And that it's not more difficult for God to deal with them than our supposed good deeds. I like that. It's not an excuse for these things we do. But can God deal with them? There's a little phrase I sort of try and live with. is God draws straight lines with crooked sticks. He takes our lives and the imperfections of them as we seek to lean into God's wisdom, even learning from our mistakes. And, and if, you, if you're sitting here thinking, you know, this morning that there are things that you just know you've... You've blown it, and you know you've done things that are wrong, and you've been leaning into maybe other things. Beating yourself up is not the answer. That's not God's wisdom. Leaning into God's grace is. 
Psalm 51 is written when King David had committed adultery, lied, and been party to murder, effectively. And then he writes Psalm 51. And do you know the first words he writes in Psalm 51? Be gracious to me, God. Be gracious to me. How do you think God answers that prayer? Where sin abounds, what does grace do? More abounds, super abounds, goes over the top. You need God's grace. And then later on in Psalm 51, David prays for wisdom as well. So if you are in that place, go to Psalm 51, pray it through. Don't focus on the faith. Learn from it, absolutely. Learn from our mistakes. It's important we do that. Don't avoid the cross. You know, over the years where we've seen many people, you know, in my own life, <laughs> in different situations where I thought, well, I, I can't avoid the cross. The exposure of something, the shame of something, the guilt of something, the pain of something. But when you go through the cross, which is God's wisdom, that's the way of wisdom is through the cross because Christ is... Christ crucified is the wisdom of God, so you don't avoid the cross of Christ. You go through it, as it were, metaphorically speaking. You own those things. You own the things you've done before God. You, you pray through them. Be gracious to me. But then you come out the other side and you see what God will do. That's God's promise to us. That's his grace to us. That's the good news of the gospel to us. And then just finally how we keep growing is commit to the long haul. It doesn't happen overnight, growing wise. There's certain, some things, you know, growing old doesn't equal becoming wise either. But there's some things that you, they just need time. And take time. You can't, you can't Google wisdom. And just in case you're thinking, well, I can right now, actually, Toby, I'm going to Google it. Of course you can write time wisdom into Google. You can't Google it in the sense of it's not an instant thing. Suddenly, now I'm wise. I've Googled it. It's an instantaneous thing. It's a, it's a lifetime of learning and growing and leaning into and seeking God on and learning from others, taking time in our busy, crowded out, noisy world. How important is that? Turn the phone off. Turn your computer off. Put it in another room. Smash it with a sledgehammer if you have to. No, don't do that. Well, maybe. What I mean is we've got to find that time to be peace, quiet, reflect and think. So important that we do that in, in our busy culture, in our noisy world, that we do that. And maybe talk about that in life group, how you can do that, to reflect, think and pray. Because that's how we're going to keep growing in this beautiful wisdom that God wants us to have. And we'll keep applying it into ourselves. It's not just about individuals, but it's about us as a church family doing this and we'll continually get a community that grows in the peace of God and looks more like Jesus. Band, do you want to come back up, Ben, in the band? And um, shall we stand, please? I'd like to pray for us. And then Marcus will lead things forward from there. But what does um, James say in chapter 1? If any of you lacks wisdom, what does James say to do? Ask. Pray, ask. I lack wisdom. I don't know about you, I know I lack wisdom. And we need to be those that ask. So while I, I'm going to pray, but I want to encourage you to pray. He doesn't say, get someone to ask for you. 
does he? He says, ask yourself. Ask God for that wisdom. So I'm going to pray, but please, as I'm praying, be asking God for that wisdom, for those things that maybe you're facing right now, or to apply some of the things. There might be just one or two things, that, or maybe one thing that stood out this morning. It's like, actually, that's what I need to go away and walk in. I need others' help in that. So Lord, I thank you that you've given us, you've given us not only a blueprint for your wisdom, you've not only given us Christ, who is the wisdom of God, one to look to, and the Holy Spirit, who's just like Jesus, to empower us, the same power that lives in us. We've been singing it. Well, that's Christ. It's his power at us. And it's the fruit that he bears in our lives, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, who is just like Jesus. And so therefore, our expectation, Lord, is that you will give us the wisdom that we need because you've given us Christ. And all the riches of wisdom and knowledge are found in him. And so my confidence in this is that as I pray, Lord, and we ask for wisdom, that you will give it. And that might come kind of directly, as it were, as we read your word, or just a, a thought that kind of corresponds to these characteristics of your wisdom. You think, oh, that's what I've got to do. But it might come through someone else as well this week. Even after this meeting, after we're sort of gathering around, chatting, God's wisdom might come to you in that way. So, Lord, I pray... You say, if we lack wisdom, to ask. And so I pray for that. First and foremost, the spirit of wisdom and revelation that we'd know Jesus better. But then the wisdom to know how to act, to, to skillfully apply maybe what we know. We know truth about your word or stuff, but we just don't know how to apply it into this situation. Well, I pray for the wisdom to be able to walk in those things for each one of us in your precious name. Amen.